the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. Our second reading comes to us from the Gospel according to John. Listen, at the crossroads, God's wisdom cries. Later, Jesus himself appeared to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, and Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go with you. They set out in a boat, but throughout the night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. Jesus called them, Children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, No. He said, Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they did, and there were so many fish that they couldn't haul in the net. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he wrapped his coat around himself, for he was naked, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they weren't far from shore, only about one hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire there, with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon Peter got up and pulled the net to shore. It was full of large fish, one hundred fifty-three of them. Yet the net hadn't torn even with so many fish. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples could bring themselves to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon replied, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Take care of my sheep. 
He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him for a third time, do you love me? He replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I assure you that when you were younger, you tied your own belt and walked around wherever you wanted. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and another will tie your belt and lead you where you don't want to go. He said this to show the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. The word of the Lord is to God. Jesus had left again. Can you even imagine? Jesus had left again. First, there was the fresh, keening grief of Friday. Jesus tortured to death. There was the raw wound of loss on Saturday. Jesus dead. There was a hollow feeling at the bottom of your stomach on Sunday. Every day, I have to wake up to a world in which Jesus is dead. But also on Sunday, shock, confusion, joy. Jesus alive? Jesus greeting Mary at the tomb. Jesus appearing to the disciples, hiding in fear. Jesus saying, peace be with you. Jesus back from the dead, but disappearing again, winking on and off like a neon sign. He wasn't around when Thomas, the twin, came back. Another week passed before Thomas touched the palms where nails pierced flesh. And now this story, which begins later, Jesus appeared again, which means that Jesus had left again. Who knows where? Does it matter? Because every time he leaves, Thomas feels the sting of loss. Every time he leaves, Peter feels the weight of words left unsaid. Every time he leaves, Mary remembers Jesus' warning, haunting her on Easter morning. Don't hold on to me. Who or what, then, can we hold on to, Jesus? Jesus, Son of God, Word made flesh, firstborn from the dead, didn't stick around. So why should I? Why should you? Why should Peter? I'm going fishing. Back to the boats. Back to the nets. Back to something familiar. Something we can understand. Because what's the point of waiting around? Pointless. Perfectly pointless. Can you hear Kohelet's iconic words, 
echoing in the disciples' thoughts, following Jesus all over the country. Pointless. What did it gain us? Harassment, heartbreak, a headache trying to understand a man who speaks in riddles. Why did we leave our nets all those months ago? Why did we believe that life could be different? There's nothing new under the sun. The same mistakes, the same toil, the same talk. People come into your life, people leave you. One day you're bold to claim your belief. Later, under pressure, you deny the one you love. Three times even. Pointless. Perfectly pointless. The place of departure for Kohelet's classic catchphrase, that makes all the difference. Is it a conclusion or a presupposition? A similar statement, I now see that we can know nothing, sounds different on the lips of someone who has sought knowledge all her life than it does on the lips of an 18-year-old in his first semester. To arrive at that statement after a life of seeking is humility, whereas you would want to smack anyone beginning from that place and using it as an excuse not to try. As a presupposition, as a starting place, pointless, perfectly pointless, is eye-goal-worthy. Congratulations! You've discovered that no one hands you life fully formed. Now get off your butt and do something useful. But as a conclusion, as the result of trying perfectly pointless, weighs heavy on the heart. You did everything right and still wound up like this. You got your degree and the economy tanked. You loved and she left. You followed, but that feeling of closeness dried up. Even a person as actively committed to making the world a better place, as was Dog Hammerschuld, felt the pinch of pointlessness. Hammerschuld was the Secretary General of the United Nations in the 1950s when the Cold War simmered across the globe. He worked hard to bring the Suez Canal crisis to a peaceful conclusion, to ease tensions between Israel and the Arab states, to defuse civil war in newly independent Congo. And still, in his diary, this middle-aged Swedish diplomat wrote the following. What I ask for is absurd, that life should have meaning. What I strive for is impossible, that my life shall acquire a meaning. I dare not believe 
I do not see how I shall ever be able to to believe that I am not alone. Even with Nathaniel and Thomas and the other disciples on the water with him, I imagine Peter feeling alone and absurd. Jesus had left again with no promise of coming back. What now? But then, a voice. Children, have you caught anything to eat? And then a realization. It's the Lord. The Lord who was dead but now speaks your name. The Lord who passes through locked doors with peace. The Lord who summons a huge catch of fish. Jesus, here. Suddenly all thoughts of pointlessness go out the window. Suddenly, Peter is cinching his coat and diving into the water. He can't wait any longer, even when the boat is only a hundred yards from shore. Here you are. Here I am. What now, Lord? What now? Peter had the answer all along. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. But do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Okay, but what about, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jesus' last words in this story is the same invitation that he first offered Peter on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Follow me. Follow me through pain and doubt. Follow me starting with the nearest neighbor, with the least of my brothers and sisters. Follow me because life isn't pointless. Life is precious, precarious, and precious. This week has felt precarious. Two disciples in our midst began the week in hospice. Two disciples were united with Christ in a death like his. Our beloved Dick Adams and dear Martha Sherwalk of Lodi will both be united with Christ in a resurrection like his. Yesterday, at Dick's funeral, I heard so many stories of how Dick touched people's lives. Like when Monroe, a member of his church, was diagnosed with cancer. Dick gave Monroe's wife, Juanita, a job at his bookstore in Ithaca. I learned how Dick, unafraid to give his opinions, raised his voice for causes of justice. Dick was a risk-taker, quick to move from idea to action, from loving Jesus to feeding Jesus' sheep. Martha also took leaps of faith. 
She left behind her relatively comfortable childhood home to marry Charlie, a farmer in Lodi. Days before her twin grandchildren were born, Martha's only child, her son, Charles Jr., died suddenly. She committed herself to love and defend Molly and Casey with fierce tenderness and to support her daughter-in-law, Becky, no matter what. Even when others tried to persuade her to sell her house and her land, she resolved that everything would go to Becky and the kids to empower them to live as they chose and not as fate dictated. She loved Jesus, and she died knowing her legacy would feed Jesus' lambs. These saints felt the burden of pointlessness, it's true. They saw young people die. They saw children go without clean water or food. They saw the impoverished, dispossessed but they also recognized what Jesus showed here. Life is precious. Love is worth the risk. They knew what another disciple knew, who wrote, Love is from God, and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God because God is love. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. After all, those who don't love their brothers or sisters whom they have seen can hardly love God whom they have not seen. Martha and Dick received Jesus' invitation to follow both gift and task, and they were transformed by this costly grace. Grace is costly, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, because it forces people under the yoke of Jesus Christ. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Most of our Bibles say this, my yoke is easy. I've always felt that was a contradiction. Easy? Maybe for spiritual superstars, maybe for the pure in heart, but for those of us who are constantly detangling ourselves from ego, or anxiety, or resentment, or complacency, taking on Jesus' yoke doesn't feel easy. It feels like hard work. That's why Shane Claiborne's and Chris Ha's perspective resonates with me. Jesus' yoke isn't easy. It is good. That word Jesus used to describe his yoke, his way, 
is the same word dancing through the first chapter of the book of Genesis. God looked and saw that everything God had made was very good. It's the same word that the Holy One spoke through the prophet Isaiah. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Martha and Dick knew that Jesus' yoke was good, just as the psalmist said, look at how good and pleasing it is when families live together as one. Friends, Jesus' yoke will not spare us from walking through death's dark valley. But Jesus' way points beyond pain and pointlessness. Jesus invites us to something bigger than ourselves, to love the world that God so loved, feeding the lambs Jesus died and lived to save naming as precious every child, every stranger, each path, each patch of earth beneath our feet. Friends, come, bring your burdens to God, for Jesus will never say no. Learn from Jesus, for his yoke is good. Come, Find rest for your souls. For such grace, for such goodness, let us give all glory and gratitude to God. Giver of our days, gift of perfect love, power and peace given to us all. Amen.